14 Bannerman Road is where Sarah Jane Smith lives. And 14 Bannerman Road is the name of my podcast about it. This time the finale of series 4, Goodbye Sarah Jane Smith, parts 1 and 2, both written by Gareth Roberts and Clayton Hickman, in our first joint credit since the pilot, if you ignore the Red Nose Day sketch that happened to be written by Roberts and Hickman as well. They were both directed by Joss Agnew, with part 1 first broadcast on the 15th of November 2010, 11 years ago today, and part 2 first broadcast the day after, on the 16th of November 2010. We have our good old 13 Bannerman Road, etc, and then we cold open with a meteor heading towards Earth. The CG is looking a little bit ropey, but you can explain it away by saying that it's CG that's been generated by Mr. Smith as we pull out to see that it's being shown on his screen. It's still a real meteor though, uh, as he reveals he's redirected it to specific coordinates, but it's still going to impact Earth, and it's likely carrying pathogens. Sarah Jane instructs Ronnie to grab the bio-coolant, she gives Clyde the thermoclamps, and off they go to deal with the problem. They reach the meteor, and as they're about to deal with it, it goes bang, and Sarah Jane scans it, reveals it's already been neutralised. They see a lady, brunette, she's in boots, she's wearing a jacket very similar to Sarah Jane's. They ask what she's doing, and she replies, saving the world. And then she hops into her car, and she drives off. Clyde simply ex- exclaims, she's exactly like you, to Sarah Jane, and then we roll titles. Sarah Jane is suspicious of this lady, calls her an amateur. Uh, Ronnie points out that she had the alien tech to track the meteor like them, and she knew how to neutralise it though, so she seems quite competent actually. Sarah Jane says that she'll get Mrs Smith to locate her, keep an eye on her, but it turns out that's not necessary, as we see her pull up to a house that is suspiciously similar to Sarah Jane's, because it's literally the next road over. The gang spots her, and Ronnie says that she saw the vans moving someone in recently, and it's at this point that Sarah Jane's car rolls out of frame, because she's left the handbrake off. It's a little bit on the nose that she seems to be getting old and forgetful right as this shiny new replacement lady has turned up. So I wonder if the two are connected, huh? (laughs) The gang goes up to knock on her door. We see from the inside she's got all her moving boxes in. She basically tells them to get lost. In in fact, I think she says the exact phrase, get lost. But Sarah Jane just barges her way in. The mystery lady seems to think that Sarah Jane is the amateur and makes a fair point that if she knew what she was doing, she wouldn't be getting kids involved. But when Sarah Jane reveals, hey, I know about your alien tech and everything, she says, okay, you've got one minute to say your piece. Clyde finds a letter that is addressed to a Ruby White, so that's our newcomer's name. Sarah Jane asks, why did you move here? She says, they call it the Evening Triangle. There was Mr. Truman, the bubble shop factory nearby, there are reports of rhinos in police cars, there's been alien plants... Seems like our gang might be facing the consequences of all their adventures. Sarah Jane um, scans Ruby while her back is turned, but then when she turns around again, she quickly flips her watch back down, and that's quite cute. Sarah Jane says she's not an amateur, but she recognises that Ruby isn't either, and she extends her hand out to shake, and Ruby says, your minute's up, get out, refuses a handshake. I'd say rude, because everyone acts as if Ruby is rude, you sort of go along with it, but no... <laughs> The gang literally just burst into her house. I'm suspicious of her because of how Sarah Jane is acting and how stories work, but she herself hasn't been shown to be doing anything wrong as of yet. Back in the attic, Mrs. Smith reels off some info about Ruby. She ends up seeming pretty legit. Midway through the conversation, Sarah Jane kind of ends up daydreaming and staring off into space. Something is clearly very wrong. Now, I should probably point out, in case you're unaware, though I do believe I've mentioned it before, there are four and a half series of Sarah Jane Adventures, as Elizabeth Sladen, who played Sarah Jane, 
very unfortunately died before they could finish filming the fifth series. Now, this is because the first half of the fifth series was filmed at the same time as the fourth series because of how money works. So that means that at the point that this episode had aired, the last episode of Sarah Jane Adventures had been filmed. And this episode was the last one to air before Elizabeth Sladen died. So to see her acting as if something is wrong with her health hits a little bit harder than it otherwise would. Sarah Jane says the best thing to do is probably leave Ruby alone. Still keep an eye on her, but that's basically all we can do. When Clyde and Ronnie ask if she's okay, she says, I'm fine. But once they've gone home, we see that she's experiencing a tremor in her hand. The next day, Gita and Haresh are loading plants into Gita's van. Rani's helping. Ruby walks by, doesn't really interact. Rani says she said hi yesterday, but she's not really the friendly type. Clyde comes over and comments on the Chandra's house having been painted yellow. And that shows how much attention I pay. I've been looking at it for four series, and I can't tell you what colour it was before. Uh, I imagine this is a practical thing. As far as I'm aware, it's a real house, so the owner must have just painted it, and now they need to address it in the show, because otherwise it would be weird. I've just looked up a picture, and it looks kind of grey there, so that must have been what it was before. Uh, much like Sarah Jane's house in the earlier series, apparently they couldn't decide between it being number 12 or number 36 as well. Sarah Jane comes back from shopping. Gita says hi. Sarah Jane says, I can't stop, I need to put Luke's tea on. When Haresh asks if Luke is back from uni... Sarah Jane becomes very emotional, realising that he isn't. She goes inside. Clyde and Ronnie go over to her, see that she's left her front door open. Ronnie tells Clyde to hang back. She goes inside to talk to Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane is video calling Luke through Mr. Smith, and Luke is asking if everything is alright, because she only called him a few hours ago. When she forgets the name of K-9, he double-checks that she's okay, but she assures him she is, and he can't press it much further because he needs to go and meet his friend Sanjay. Or friend-slash-boyfriend. The show doesn't say boyfriend, but we know what was intended. Ronnie tells Sarah Jane that she might benefit from taking a break. And Sarah Jane kind of tries to insist that she's really fine, honest, but then she seems to realise that she's not fooling anybody. And Ronnie suggests, well, hey, maybe you can go and see Luke for a few days. Sarah Jane says, well, I can't very well just tell all the aliens to leave Earth alone because I'm on holiday. I mean, she kind of did for her wedding, but then the tricks invaded, so fair point. As if on cue... We get a red alert from Mr. Smith that a fleet of ships are preparing to invade, which Sarah Jane identifies as the Dark Horde. By this point, Clyde has come into the attic. He sees all of this as well. Mr. Smith plays another alert that his scan has been traced. They've locked onto him. The Horde will be teleporting straight in to neutralise him because they consider such advanced technology a threat. He can't block their teleport, but he can divert it. Sarah Jane tells him to divert it to the nearest uninhabited area, and then contact unit. Mr. Smith reveals that his communications have been blocked, so there's going to be no contacting unit, because I guess we can only afford them once for this series. Sarah Jane goes over to the K9 safe, which now appears to be functioning as just a normal safe, and pulls out a sort of alien gun. She hands it to Clyde, she gives Ronnie some other unidentified bit of tech, and when Ronnie says that facing aliens with firepower is very unlike her, Sarah Jane says, it's our job to protect the Earth, so stop talking and move. And Elizabeth is really giving it all with the way that she delivers that line. Stop talking and move! <laughs> we see the teleport was diverted to a scrapyard. Sarah Jane scans it, locates three aliens, and then the whole gang duck behind a truck as they're shot at. Sarah Jane, in a very doctor-like fashion, not pause pausing once for breath, says that we are the first indigenous specimens that the Horde have come across, so they're probably not shooting to kill us, just to scare us. The Horde wants to capture and study them before they take over. The tech that she gave to Rani will do something 
that will basically give the false impression that our gang are very big and scary and that Earth is not worth taking over. So she just needs to activate it with her Sonic Clyde, if you wouldn't mind handing it to me. We see that the Horde are humanoid figures in a kind of dark armour and a big red cloak and the weapons are like staffs that fire energy. Clyde does not have the Sonic. Sarah Jane says, I told you to bring it. He says, no, you told me to bring this gun. She says, why, why would I say that? The gun is useless, it's not even charged. And Sarah Jane starts to panic, saying that she's got them killed as the horde approaches, and they say that their scan is complete, and they ready their weapons. Enter Ruby, drawing the horde's attention. Uh, she has two white orbs in each hand. Uh, she shouts to Clyde and Ronnie to take a side each. She chucks an orb to each of them, tells them to press the button when she says so. She pulls out a kind of white oval type thing, and tells them to press the buttons, and it makes a kind of triangle of energy around the horde that seems to send them back to their ship. I imagine she's about to give a reason why they won't just teleport back down again. She doesn't. It's in fact the Oval that explains. Essentially, he appears to be a kind of portable Mr. Smith, because Ruby has to just be like just a little bit cooler than Sarah Jane. I mean, she's even got a cooler car and everything. Clyde says, hey, you should call him Mr. White. And if we're going with that, then Mr. White says that he projected an image of a slightly stronger version of the Horde back to the Horde, so they decided that battle wasn't worth it, and now they're fleeing. Which is kind of Sarah Jane's plan. Sarah Jane thanks Ruby for saving their lives, says she's amazing. Ruby says, well, hey, I've been doing some research, and your gang are actually pretty amazing themselves. Aw, it seems like we might be getting along after all. It won't last. <laughs> this is the whole point of the story. But isn't it nice to imagine what it would be like if it did? Ruby offers a handshake this time, and then we cut to her being invited into the attic, meeting Mr. Smith, etc. She says that she dredged her Mr. White out of a swamp in New Zealand. It's all very nice having this new lady on the team, but we see that Sarah Jane is kind of in the background now, taking a bit of a back foot, perhaps not necessarily willingly. Clyde and Ronnie go off, I assume, home, saying that they really like Ruby, actually. It's a good thing for Sarah Jane to have someone to help take the pressure off. Uh, we now see that Ruby's car is an Alfa Romeo convertible. Inside, Sarah Jane tries to bond with Ruby alone and says that it's, it's great to have an adult friend. As brilliant as the kids are, there's still that kind of generational gap. And while Ruby's a little bit younger than Sarah Jane, you know, they're closer in age. Ruby's very nice and complimentary, sort of just lets Sarah Jane spill her woes at having put the kids in danger today. So I guess she must have been wrong. She said, oh, they're, they're not going to shoot to kill us. They... They just want to capture us instead, but then when they come up and they actually ready their weapons at them, it's as if they are going to shoot to kill. So I guess that's just another sort of mistake that Sarah Jane has made on top of everything else. It's not going particularly well for her. She mentions the Sonic Lipstick, which leads to talking about the Doctor. Uh, she says that her life turned upside down when she was 23. At first she's a bit vague, so when Ruby asks who she's talking about, she says the Doctor, but it takes Sarah a second. For a moment, Sarah Jane forgot the Doctor's name. We transition to seeing her watching that moment being played back on Mr. Smith, which suggests that he has cameras set up around the attic and not just immediately front-facing. And Sarah Jane wonders to herself how she could forget such an important name. This is sort of the real trigger moment for her to go, oh no, something is, is quite wrong with me, actually. So she asks Mr. Smith to give her a full medical scan, and he does, and he says that she's experiencing a non-serious but non-treatable deterioration of her brain. 
and she asks if given that knowledge should she be in a position of authority and responsibility for other people's lives and Mr Smith tries to dodge the question but when she presses it he answers no. Her performance here, uh, just her acceptance that she has to give up what has basically been her life since she was 23 and she doesn't want to but it's for the best and there's a great successor who's turned up so really there's no reason not to. Man it's making me tear up. I mean I, I don't think that the hindsight that we have is helping but you know Damn. <laughs> we see Clyde and Ronnie hanging out with Ruby again, showing us some more tech in the attic. Sarah Jane is at a desk in the background. And then Ruby's even giving Ronnie a driving lesson in her car and getting along with Gita as Sarah Jane's in the garden in the background. Some time's definitely passing here, but I'd say maybe a week at most. It's still happening quite quickly. Sarah Jane sits down with Ruby and tells her about the scan. She says she's getting old now and that's, that's getting dangerous. She must never be allowed to endanger the kids again. She shows a hand shaking and everything. Basically says, says, Ruby, you're the best equipped person in the world to take over from me. Do you want to do it? And Ruby says she can't decide right now. But Sarah Jane presses for an answer. And Ruby accepts. Sarah Jane says she's leaving. Doesn't say where she's going. She just needs to leave before she changes her mind. Ruby asks about Luke. Sarah Jane says that he's got his own life now. and. Reminds Ruby that, hey, well, look, you're taking over now and it's all fresh and new, but just keep in mind that this will probably happen to you someday as well. And then she gives Mrs. Smith her final order. Run program Alpha 3, delete my voice, and take your orders now from Ruby White. And we see a bit more of a sinister smile now from Ruby, who up till this point had been the picture of innocence. Sarah Jane says she doesn't really have a plan. She's just going to drive... She's going to see where she ends up. She gives Ruby her house keys, the scanner watch, the sonic lipstick, so it's all hers now. And she leans a bit heavily on the table for support. Says she's fine, though. And Ruby says, hey, we're all going to really miss you. But now her villain is coming out, just the way that she's talking and holding herself. She's successfully infiltrated her way in, and now her true colours can show. What's Sarah Jane going to do about it? Ruby picks up the pictures of Clyde, and Rani, and Luke, and in a very mocking tone, asks, whatever will I tell these poor children? And Sarah Jane seems to come to her senses, and saying, she can't leave, she, she, she didn't even say goodbye to anyone, what, what was she thinking? She goes over to Mr Smith, and of course now, he doesn't respond to her. She asks Ruby to patch her back in, but Ruby refuses, just before Sarah Jane asks what's happening, and stumbles, and Ruby catches her. Ruby says that's what's happening, is Sarah Jane isn't in control anymore. She's given Ruby her tech, she's given Ruby her house, she's given Ruby herself. Ruby presses a button on her bracelet, teleports them away. They appear in a place that Ruby calls her secret cellar, a counterpart to Sarah Jane's secret attic. They're basked in red light, cast by a big CGI blob in the corner. Sarah Jane asks what it is. Ruby says well, that's her stomach, and it's hungry for Sarah Jane's soul. Ruby has been draining her, drop by drop, and that's the reasoning behind Sarah Jane's cognitive decline. Ruby shackles Sarah Jane to the wall, and Sarah Jane asks what kind of alien she is, and she says that she is a Katesh. She feasts on excitement, rather similarly to Odd Bob or the Nightmare Man feasting on fear, and Sarah Jane leads the most exciting life on the planet. Sarah Jane says that Clyde and Rani will find her, but Ruby assures her they won't, because Mr. White is already creating a fake farewell message from her. 
Ruby holds out her hand, drawing crackly white energy from Sarah Jane's chest, and then extends her other, shooting it into the stomach. And Ruby says that she's done her homework, studied Sarah Jane, known to play hard to get at first, and then swooping in to save her. And soon her real adventure gets to begin, where she can feast on humanity. Sarah Jane slumps down the wall, and we roll credits on part one. Part two kicks off with, of course, the 13th Benham Road, and then the previously on, and then the titles. And we come back to the basement with Ruby gloating to Sarah Jane, saying that once she's consumed, then her stomach will be strong enough to consume multiple people at once, and it's only going to get stronger. And she says, don't worry, Sarah Jane, I'm going to continue on your work. But with one major difference. Should aliens come looking to invade, I'm going to help them out. This is likely going to destroy the planet, sure, but not before it's provided enough excitement and terror to feed me for a very long time. Apparently it's not just positive excitement that sustains her. Fear will do too. Very, very similar to the Nightmare Man and Odd Goblin. I never noticed how many times this kind of villain has been reused before, but I don't mind it as they all go about it in unique ways. Also, the kind of person not being who they say they are was very finale of series one as well. Ronnie and Clyde rock up to the 13 Benjamin Road. Ronnie's saying something about Lady Gaga, which is the second mention of her this series, as one of the red and yellow robots read about her in a magazine when it was assimilating the language as well. Big shout out to Lady Gaga for remaining a relevant reference over a decade on. Uh, they see that the door is open again, go up to the attic, find Ruby, who plays them the fake message from Sarah Jane. Back in Ruby's cellar, there's a small TV set up for Sarah Jane to watch it all unfold on and despair, probably feed the stomach a bit quicker. The fake Sarah Jane message is basically what we've heard before. She almost got them killed, so she thinks it's time to go. She knows they're mature enough to accept Ruby. Please don't try and find her, etc. Clyde isn't necessarily mature enough, reacting with anger that Ruby even waited to show him rather than coming to tell him straight away, and says that Sarah Jane wouldn't leave without saying goodbye in person, so Luke would know where she's gone. Ruby says Sarah Jane didn't tell Luke because she knew that he would talk her out of it, so after confirming that Luke doesn't know, Clyde storms out. Ronnie follows him, seeming to have accepted it a bit more, and even kind of apologising to Ruby. Ruby teleports back to gloat more to Sarah Jane, while Clyde is seen leaving a message for someone, presumably Luke. When Ronnie catches up to him, lashing out, he blames her for putting the stupid idea of a holiday in Sarah Jane's head, and now she's gone, just like his dad left him. Ah, I see. He tells Ronnie to stay away from him. Ronnie runs home and collapses on the sofa, really quite dramatically, on the verge of tears. Gita and Haresh ask her what the matter is. When Ronnie says that Sarah Jane is gone, Haresh says, that can't be right, I only saw her yesterday. Then realising he's not helping, he exits the room. Gita tries to reassure Ronnie that Sarah Jane can't be gone forever. Not if she didn't even tell Luke. She wouldn't just throw away the bond that Gita noticed that she had with Ronnie as well. She kind of jokingly says that she's a bit jealous of that bond. Which is a little bit sad when it comes right from her own mother, isn't it? But, uh... Gita says, hey, look, don't worry, I know Sarah Jane makes you happy, seeing my daughter happy makes me happy, Sarah Jane is not gone for good, that, that cannot be the case. We cut back to Clyde, who's gone back to the attic, speaking to Mr. Smith and asking questions, and Mr. Smith is just repeating, I cannot comply, and glitching out. He gets out a letter 2, letter 5, letter 23, which Clyde realises a B-E-W, probably going to spell beware before Mr. Smith sparks and Ruby enters. He gets her a final letter 18, before Ruby places Mr. White down next to him, and he suddenly seems fine again, saying he had a minor error, 
But now that's fixed. Clyde says to Ruby, he was trying to tell me something. Beware. And then letter 18. And Ruby, with a very exaggerated mock gasp, says that letter 18? That's R. And oh dear, because now Clyde has realised he's in danger. Ruby gives him a small round of applause and then grabs his arm. She tells Mr. White to shut Mrs. Smith down, which he does with pleasure, and then teleports Clyde away. And oh, this isn't the cellar. No, this is a white padded room being filmed through a fisheye lens. Clyde asks where they are, and Ruby directs him to a window. Oh look, it's good old CGI Earth. I wonder if the swirling cloud over what looks like Norway is there every time we've seen it, and if it really is the same one each time. Ruby says that this was her prison. Is Clyde still grounded, by the way? I feel like he might be incurring the wrath of the Jadoon if you're not careful. Maybe they're the ones who imprisoned Ruby. We shall see. No, they're not. It turns out it was her own people who imprisoned her, because her hunger was too insatiable. Trapped in a floating prison with only a game system for company, one that she was able to reprogram in order to take control of the prison as her ship, Mr. White. Not dredged out of a swamp after all. We can see up close now that the prison is not padded, but rather foamed, like insulation foam? I don't know. But I, I quite like it, whatever it is. I like low-budget space aesthetics. It's it's just, it's cute. Clay says that Sarah Jane scanned Ruby, and she, she came up clean. Now Ruby says, well, my fancy teleportation bracelet also contains a bio-damper, much like Gavin's ring. Although, that hidden from scans entirely, so I'd say it's, it's more like a tech-focused perception filter to full scanners rather than eyes. I don't know, it's kind of like a chameleon arch that doesn't fool the wearer. Whatever it is, it's very useful. She's doing all the classic villain stuff as Ruby. She's, she's gloating about all her tech and her plans because she's just so much better than everyone else. She reveals that Sarah Jane is watching, actually, as the fisheye lens actually belongs to a real camera in the prison. And we cut to Sarah Jane sort of weakly calling out to Clyde from the floor and then the stomach growls at her before we're back to Ruby, revealing that Clyde won't be here much longer because they've only got the air that they came in with. She says that she doesn't need to breathe, and then teleports out, leaving him to shout her name into the window, which we pull out through to see the CGI prison floating out in orbit around CGI Earth. Ronnie's trying to phone Clyde, not getting through, obviously. He doesn't have a space phone. The Doctor really should have done that when they met him. Either time would have really helped out. But hey, their phones get smashed a lot, so maybe it was wise not to. Suddenly, the doorbell rings, and it's Luke. Luke's back, folks. He must have had to come back in this episode, because he's in the 13 Bannerman Road montage at the start, but he hadn't appeared in any of the previous episodes. But I'd briefly forgotten about that, so it was a nice surprise. He's sporting a very 2011 fashionable scarf, and on my word, if you compare him to his first appearance, hasn't he grown? It says even a bit more styled, it's not just straight up fringe and everything. He's quite angry, actually, saying that he just got the message that Clyde left him. He's come straight down, only to find that Clyde and Ronnie must have done something to drive Sarah Jane away. Ronnie rebuffs that he's the one who left her to go to university. We see that they're on a video call to K9, who's back in Luke's storm room, and K9 tells them that they must cease arguing and work together. I think this episode is the last that we see of K9, actually, because I don't think he appears in Series 5, which means that this might be the last that we see of K9 ever, because I don't think he appears in Doctor Who anymore, or Class, or anything like that. I might be wrong, but I can't recall seeing him since. Blimey, we've been over 10 years without K9, eh? Goodness me. 
Ronnie asks K9 if he can connect to a Clyde's phone, and he says, well, he can't communicate with it, but he can track it to space. Well, he doesn't say space. He says some coordinates, which Luke recognises as space, because he's a clever clogs. We have a quick scene with Clyde on the floor of the prison, very much running out of air, trying to do whatever he can with his phone. Not the oval phone, no, because that was smashed. So we've got some continuity there. He's got a new phone now. What must his parents think? What must Clyde and Ronnie's parents think when they keep getting all these new phones, eh? Does Sarah Jane pay for it? I'd, I've just got a weird obsession with phones in the Doctor Who universe, cause, just because the Doctor used to give all his companions a space phone, and then he, he just kind of stopped doing that. Mm. Ronnie pieces together that, hey, Clyde's up in space, Sarah Jane's acting weird, what's, like, the one thing to change? Oh, it's Ruby. Ruby's turned up and then everything started going weird. This must be Ruby's fault. Luke asks her to pull up a pic of Ruby with Mr. White on her phone. Honestly, I can't keep up with the phone continuity, so I'll let someone more dedicated than I do that. I've got a bit of a, you know, Mr. Smith, I need you super gut to focus on. And K9 reveals that Mr. White Tech is of Katesh origin. Well, 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 we're onto something now. He reveals the info about the stomach. We see it's looking very large and even steaming as Sarah Jane clings on to the last dregs of life. And Mr. White informs Ruby that everything is on schedule. And we're back to Rani, stopping Luke from confronting Ruby head-on and getting himself killed. They need a plan. Impulsive Luke is kind of new and unusual for, for his character. It's interesting to see. Luke says that Mr. Smith should have picked up that Ruby and Mr. White were suspicious. And K-9 says that the inferior Mr. Smith was duped by the superior Mr. White. Because he can't resist getting a dig in, can he? He says something about Mr. White being built from a 5D holographic entertainment system. And Luke clicks that there maybe wasn't a meteor or an invasion after all. It was all Mr. White's doing with holograms. Well, I tell you what, they're very advanced holograms, but I guess it checks out because the gang never actually touched through either of them. Mr. White is also what powers Ruby's teleporter. The bracelet is just the controls for it. I've no idea if this will be important, but I imagine that we might be using Mr. White to bring Clyde back. They do that pretty quickly as well. I can't imagine the teleport brought in a whole lot of air and it must have taken some out too when Ruby left. K9 says that he should be able to reset Mr. White and assume control, if only he had direct access. I wonder why Luke didn't just take K9 with him when he drove down here. Luke asks if K9 can connect to Ronnie's phone, and then if they get the phone in direct access, if that would work. He says, yep, that should work, or rather, he says affirmative in that way that he does. And he says the relay isn't optimal though, so it will take some minutes. Luke says, that'll have to do. And then he goes to walk in to 30 Benham Road, and Ronnie says it'll be far less suspicious if she does it, so we better hand the phone over, or Clyde and Sarah Jane will die. This is accompanied by a very dramatic drumbeat. Up on the prison, Clyde is recording, uh, I don't know what you call it, besides death message on his phone, just in case at some point they should find it. He says he's had the best time. He tells Sarah Jane not to blame herself for this. She tells his mum that he's sorry he had to go away, but he loves her. Confirms Luke is his best friend and that Ronnie is brilliant. In fact, he, he always... And then he passes out. He always what, Clyde? Ronnie's brilliant. I always... I always what? We'll never get to know because of the burn. It is so slow <laughs> altogether now. It's really quite morbid, this, watching a guy believe that he's about to die. At this point, I've no idea if they've officially confirmed the Series 5 cast, so I'm not sure if the audience at the time watching could be certain he was even going to make it out alive. 
Ruby's using Mr. White to scan the sonic lipstick when enter Rani. She asks for a hug, uses it as cover to place her phone down next to Mr. White, and then has to try and distract her for enough time. She talks about how hard it must be for Ruby, and Ruby plays along, and seeing them lie to each other's faces mixed in with the tension of Luke and K-9 waiting is quite fun. Quite a jolt after the last scene. Rani's throwing out every trick in the book, from breaking down in tears to saying, actually, it's a relief that Sarah Jane is gone, because I prefer Ruby, uh, just all to keep her attention as the link ticks along so very slowly. Ruby says, Rani, you shouldn't say things like that, because they're not very convincing, and then grabs her arm and asks her why she said it. The link connects. K9 is apparently connected to Mr. Smith too. I wasn't aware that that was the plan, but he comes back online. Mr. White is restored to factory settings, and in the confusion, Rani breaks free and grabs a sonic lipstick. Ruby crushes Rani's phone in her hand, so okie dokie, we'll have to start over for her, and Clyde is teleported back down. He's immediately conscious, if breathless, and grabs the old alien gun from part one, which apparently nobody bothered to put back in the safe. Terrible gun safety, even if it is out of juice. I mean, it might have been charged up in the interim, who knows? You should always act as if it's loaded, or whatever the space equivalent of loaded is. He points it at Ruby. She says, you won't fire it. But he says, no, I won't. But all I needed was to maneuver you into position. Position for a containment vortex from Mr. Smith, trapping her, disabling her teleporter. She says it won't hold her for long. And then Luke is connected through, and we get a view of Ruby's stomach as Mr. Smith says that Sarah Jane is in the basement of 46 Old Forest Road. Ah, maybe that's what I should have called this podcast thing. <laughs> we get a warning that the Vortex is being compromised, and Luke tells Clyde and Ronnie to go and save Sarah Jane while he deals with it. The Vortex breaks down fully. I've no idea how Ruby did it. I guess she just emanates a very strong aura, and she goes to pick up Mr. White and gets a very strong shock from him. She says that her power is growing, and then she goes to walk home, I guess, with her teleport being disabled. Luke figures out that if her power is still growing, then she's not fully done yet. So a plan is forming, and he gets K9 and Mr. Smith to give him all the data on Katesh that they can. He tells Mr. White to prepare for an emergency hologram transmission, and I think having three AI here at once is a weird mixture between really cool and overkill. <laughs> Klein and Rani find Sarah Jane. Rani sonics the shackles, freeing her. They go to help her to her feet when Ruby enters. She says she wouldn't normally do this, but now is probably a good time for direct absorption. We see that the stomach has teeth. That's fun. Enter Luke, holding his phone, saying this is Ruby's final warning. She refuses to leave the planet now, so he calls Mr. White. Cut to Gita and Haresh outside, looking up to see many meteors raining down and screaming in fear. Cut back to Luke explaining that it's a hologram from Mr. White. I imagine boosted by Mr. Smith, though he doesn't say so, and projected all over the world. Ruby grabs her head in pain as a lot of crackly energy zaps to it from above frame. And so it seems that Luke's plan is to make the entire world so scared that it'll overload Ruby, who's unable to deal with it yet. It's probably a bit unethical, but I can't very well come up with a better plan, so already. I do question why she has to absorb all this energy now. I thought that she could choose who she feasted on, but hey, there's still a, a bit of time left in the episode to explain it all away. Sarah Jane says there's an emotional surge from six billion people, and I think, my goodness, how the population has grown in, in a decade, eh? Lupari had to make over a billion more ships in that space of time. 
and we see the energy zap out of Ruby's hands to her stomach as she falls to the ground and the stomach inflates massively and then deflates right down with a farting sound before zapping back to Sarah Jane and presumably restoring her to full health. I guess if everyone on the planet is fearful at once, then she simply couldn't avoid absorbing that energy. She was too tuned into it. I don't know. Pick whichever explanation you want here. And Sarah Jane has a sort of miniature, non-face-changing white instead of gold regeneration as the energy zaps through her face, and she's back to her old self. The meteors stop. Ronnie hands Sarah Jane back her Sonic and says that the day is saved, once they've rounded up the incapacitated Ruby on the floor. There's big hugs all round, and Clyde goes over to the stomach and comments on how it didn't splurge, and then it proceeds to fire pink goo directly at his face, because we have these traditions and we observe them studiously. And Ruby says, I can't help who, who I am. I, I need to feed. I have an insatiable hunger. I need to deal with it. And Sarah Jane says, well, I wish I could help, but I've got to send you back to your prison, because that's where your people judge that you should be. Without Mr. White, it seems like she won't be getting out. She has one last plea, saying that Sarah Jane knows how horrible it is to be alone, but Sarah Jane says, I wasn't born yesterday, and zaps the bracelet, and away she goes. We see her up in the prison, shouting about how the world is going to suffer <laughs> as it flies away. And then back down in the attic, Sarah Jane goes to put Mr. White in the safe. Clyde asks if he can have him, because he's basically just a games console now. But Sarah Jane says no. Hang in there, Clyde. Maybe you can get a Valve Index or something in a few years' time. Ronnie's on the phone to her parents, saying that, no, I didn't see the meteors. Maybe it was a promotion for one of those 3D games. The only 3D games I can think of are, like, on the 3DS, I guess. So, maybe it was a promotion for a 3DS game. A worldwide promotion, eh? Sarah Jane likes the idea and gets Mr. Smith to run that as the cover story. And Mr. Smith also confesses that K9 isn't so bad, which is very sweet. Sarah Jane thanks them all for playing a part in saving her. Outside, Luke beeps the car horn, and Sarah Jane says that they've probably all earned one night off. And they all go and pile into the car, and Sarah Jane does a voiceover saying that there are amazing things out in space, but they've got some pretty stiff competition from the things on Earth. And we roll the credits. Just before they leave, actually, Mrs. Smith says goodbye Sarah Jane, which would have been the perfect roll credits moment. So, I can't believe they missed that. But that brings us to the end of Series 4. And I think that this was a very fun one. I tell you what, overall, really, really like Series 4. For the proper good ones, I think. But, uh... I think this was a very fun one. It's very good if you don't think too much about the end, which was a bit quick. But, I mean, I don't think you're meant to think too much about any of these stories. I do, but I recognise that they're all a bit of good fun. It's still good fun that hits very deep occasionally, and they achieve that very well. I'd say that this was one of our better series finales to boot. I guess I'm just quite fond of the theme of people being not who they say they are. Um, I, I think I quite enjoyed the Series 1 finale, uh, though that one did have the whole like, virus thing, and then Series 2 had Karg suddenly being able to stand up, and Series 3 had the weird Blatherine stuff. It's funny that it's become a bit of a tradition for the finales to have something that I, I don't like in them, and so if you think about it like that, then this was the best finale. So, well, hey, um, I hope you join me next time, then, for the start of Series 5. Obviously, we don't get our, our sort of next time, because it's the end of a series, but I can reveal to you that the next episode is called Sky. So I hope to see you then.